C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about the silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means. And he says, I quote, This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. End of quote. You know, the thing about temptation is that it is so old and it seems to always win. That is why someone would go like, why try? Or they will ask, do you know how many times I have tried not to do this and to do that? One can even argue that no one has the authority to teach or say anything concerning temptation because we are all victims. No one is good. No, not even one. So the question is, should we give up? Are the scriptures unrealistic when they say no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man? But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. And according to this verse, to question your ability to overcome temptation in a way is to question God's faithfulness. Now, the, the series that you are listening to are messages done during Camp in the Cloud. Now, welcome with me, Dr. Ray, as he answers the question, how can we thrive in temptation? David, thank you very much. Good to be with all of you. And I hope next time I'm not doing it at three o'clock in the morning. I hope next time I'm doing it in person in Kampala, Uganda. I'm looking forward to coming back to Africa as soon as possible. Once this pandemic is over, I think we're going to just have to make that happen. So I was fascinated by the titles that were given to me. Sometimes when I'm asked to speak, people just say, um, we're do whatever the Lord lays on your heart. I actually find it more interesting when people give me titles, and that's what happened this weekend. And I'm very pleased with the titles I was given, especially the one for this morning. The title says, Thriving in Temptation. Now, I like that because that is something of a paradox, is it not? Most of us would put the word thriving here, and we would put the word paradox here, and we, uh, the word temptation here, and we would keep them far apart. And there is a sense in which it is paradoxical to talk about thriving spiritually in the midst of our temptations. But I do think that is possible. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I begin not by quoting the verses, but with two quotes that sort of position this whole topic. First, from the British playwright Oscar Wilde, who famously said, I can resist anything except temptation. And if you know anything about Oscar Wilde, you know he proved the truth of those words. Then from the great British author and apologist and scholar C.S. Lewis, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Both those quotes uh, unpack 
important truth for us to think about because we all understand what Oscar Wilde was talking about. All of us struggle in one way or another day to day in the area of temptation. Your struggle, certainly not the same as mine, mine not the same as someone else's, doesn't matter. We all struggle, the Bible says, in many ways. And Lewis's comment is very apropos because it's quite true. You never really discover the truth about yourself, really. You never really understand how deeply sin is ingrained within you until you make a sincere effort to grow spiritually. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. And if you just look at the Bible, one thing that's clear is that temptation is not new. I mean, after all, go back to Genesis 3. Here comes the serpent. He brings a, a nice piece of fruit and offers it to Eve, and he blandishes it before her, brandishes it before her, and he deceives her. She takes and eats, and she eats and gives to Adam, and he eats, and he's not deceived at all. So Eve eats, she sins, Adam eats, he sins. Here comes Abraham, he lies about his wife. Here comes Sarah, she um, really lies to God. Here's Lot, who commits unspeakable sins. Jacob is a cheater, Moses is a murderer, David is an adulterer, then has someone commit murder to cover it up. Elijah complained to God, Jonah ran from God, Peter denied the Lord. Look, all of us are going to be tempted in many ways, which is why we need to talk about this topic. So let's begin, just lay down a, a marker here. Whatever else we may say about temptation, it is not a sin in and of itself to feel the pull of temptation. After all, the Bible says that Jesus, our Lord, Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points, just like us, yet did not sin. So Jesus was sinless, yet he felt the pull of temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with your temptations that really makes the difference. And so the question before us this morning is, how can we fight and win the battle with temptation? Well, James 1, verses 13, 14, and 15, this passage gives us God's answer. From this passage, we discover where temptation begins, how it grows, and where it ends. First, where temptation begins. Verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. It's always easy to blame God for our problems. Lord, you put me in this situation. Lord, you gave me these desires. Lord, you made me this way. Lord, you knew I was broke. Lord, you knew I was hungry. Lord, you knew I was lonely. Lord, you knew how weak I was in this area. Understand, God is never the source of your problems. Never. Don't even go there. He doesn't tempt people. He never puts you in a situation where you have to sin. Let me say that again. God will never put you in a situation where you have no other choice but to sin. He never sets us up to fail. You know, let me tell you something that in my own notes, I wrote down here the word huge by this because I think it's very important. It's interesting to me that in James chapter one, there is one Greek word that is translated two different ways in almost every translation of this chapter. This one Greek word is sometimes translated as trial, and we were talking about trials yesterday, 
And then sometimes it's translated with the word temptation. Isn't that interesting? One word translated two different ways, telling us something important. The same event for you and me can be both a trial and a temptation. Let's say it this way. God sends the trial. Satan turns it into a temptation. So example, here's a brother. Here's a man. He's a Christian. He loves the Lord. He gets sick. He gets ill. It could be with this coronavirus, which is going around the world. Ask yourself a question. Is that sickness? Could be cancer. Could be some other dread disease. He gets sick. Is that sickness a test? Yes, in, in the deepest sense it is. It's a question of, is he willing to trust God? Is he going to look to the Lord? Is he going to seek the Lord? So many times God uses sickness to bring us to our needs, to, to wean us away from the things of the world, to bring us to the place where in desperation our eyes are upon him alone. Now, can sickness, can the same sickness also be a temptation? Yes, and that's often what happens. Uh, uh, Satan comes to us when our sickness and our weakness, and he tempts us to despair, tempts us to anger, tempts us to bitterness, tempts us to shake our fist at God and say, why did you let this happen to me? Example, you lose your job. A lot of people through this pandemic around the world have lost their jobs. Does God have a purpose in this? Yes, he does. He certainly may have something better for you. I hope that he does. But look, losing a job forces us to ask what in what we are trusting, where is our confidence, and where is God in the midst? When the sky is falling down around us, are we still going to love the Lord? Are we still going to praise the Lord? Are we still going to bless the Lord for his goodness, even when our source of our paycheck has been removed? Can the loss of a job be a temptation? Yes, and it is a temptation to fear, to anxiety, to worry, to being overcome by the situation that we face. Okay, third, let's flip that around. You didn't lose your job, but you got a promotion. Can that be a test from the Lord? Because the question when you get a promotion, you get a bigger paycheck is this, can you handle a blessing from God? And, and I agree with the people who say that for Every person who can handle success, there are a hundred who can handle failure. In many ways, success is a much bigger test from the Lord because it is so easy when things are going good, when you got money in the bank, and when your friends love you, and when things at church are going well, and when you feel good about yourself, when the sun is shining and everything is coming up roses, the temptation always is to pray less and study less and and attend less to the things of God. Let's be honest. I mean, we all understand when you lose your money and lose your job and lose your friends and a relationship that you were trusting in and had so much hopes for, when that suddenly breaks up, uh, when, when, when your future crumbles around you, that's when we tend to go to our knees and cry out to God. So can a promotion be a temptation? Yes, a temptation to greed and to selfishness and to forgetting God. So final example. Here's a man, he's on a business trip. He goes to a hotel and it's been a long day and he's glad to be back in his room. And he picks up the remote control and he turns on the TV and he's flipping through the channels and it's late in the evening and there's nobody else there. And he comes to that, that part of the, it's almost, almost every hotel room around the world, that part of the, of the channel where it says adult, adult entertainment. 
and he thinks to himself, I know I shouldn't, but I'm tired. Maybe I should indulge myself this one time. And he's just sitting there thinking about it. Is that a test from God? Yes. When you pass that test, you will be much stronger. But if you give in, yes, then of course it is a temptation to do wrong and to give in to sin. A trial becomes a temptation when we respond wrongly. What God means for good, Satan means for evil. Satan twists that which God gives us and he whispers in our ear, go ahead, it's okay. No one will ever know. So that's number one, how it begins. Number two, how it grows. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed, and boy, look at this phrase, enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. First, there is in this passage, the certainty of temptation. Each person is tempted. Sometimes we say, Lord, I want to get to a place where temptation doesn't bother me anymore. Well, it's just like I said yesterday. If you ever get to the place where all the temptation in your life has finally been removed, sit back and relax because you've just shown up in heaven. Between now and then, just as you face many trials, you will face many temptations. As the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You are tempted and so am I. That's the certainty of temptation. It's going to be with us until the day we die and go to be with the Lord. Second, the allure of temptation. He is drawn away and enticed. Interesting. This is a uh, and the, the Greek words here are words from the realm of fishing in the first century. It has the idea of uh, you're baiting the hook and you put a lure and you're going to drop it in the water. You're trying to lure the fish uh, to come in and grab onto the hook. Only in this case, in this case, here's the man who baits his own hook because of his own misplaced desires. Let me say it to you this way. Sin always looks good. I mean, if it didn't look good, we wouldn't do it. If, if we could ever see sin the way it really is, we would never sin. But the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. Lust is satisfying for a moment. Anger is satisfying for a moment. Bitterness is satisfying for a moment. Envy is satisfying for a moment. Pride and uh, boasting about yourself, yes, that's satisfying for a moment. But in the end, in the end, it does not satisfy. Have you ever thought about that first sin in the Garden of Eden uh, of what, what it really was? Let me put it to you this way. There's fruit, there's beautiful fruit hanging from all the trees in the Garden of Eden. There's beautiful fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent knew Eve's weakness. He knew that she was oriented toward her eyes, what she could see and feel and her emotions. So he came to her. And this, this is how the world got so messed up. You want some fruit? That's it. Here, have some fruit. Fruit's good for you. Fruit's got vitamin C. Here, here, have an apple. Hey, you want some blueberries? Want some straw? Here, mango. This is fresh mango. It is so good. It is so sweet. It is so juicy. I mean, all the, all the evil in our world, the devil knew what he was doing. 
he, he didn't say to Eve, why don't you eat this and destroy yourself and destroy your husband and destroy the future for the whole human race? No, here, Eve, have some fruit. And what does Genesis 3 say? I looked at it yesterday just to make sure. And, and Moses is clear about it. When Eve saw that the fruit looked beautiful and it was good to eat, temptation is always alluring. And that's why it's so easy for us when we, when we stop and think about it, when we ponder it, when we mull over it. Remember what, what Luther said, Martin Luther, by the way, the source of so much wisdom about sin and evil and dealing with temptation. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. And, and I think the serpent just kind of held the fruit out. See, see, Eve, it, it even smells good. Eve, look, and when you eat this, you're going to be like God. Sin is always alluring. That's why we call temptation, temptation. That's why they have the, the TV show, Temptation Island, because it, it's supposed, you know, these beautiful people and they're frolicking around in the beach and in the water and all of that. Yeah, because it's supposed to appeal to us on the outside then to appeal to us on the inside. First, the certainty of temptation. Second, the allure of temptation. Third, the individuality of temptation. Verse uh, 14 says, his own evil desires. You know, this much is certainly true. The things that tempt you may not necessarily tempt me. The things that bother me may not necessarily bother you. The truth is, you have your struggles and I have mine. God knows your strengths, but the devil knows your weaknesses. He knows exactly where to hit you, which is why, you know, I could fall into sin and you might go, Pastor Ray, that's the craziest thing in the world because maybe it doesn't really bother you, but the same thing could happen to you. You could give in to temptation. I go, I don't even see what's so alluring about that. The devil, he, he, temptation is a designer creation from the devil. He knows exactly how to hit you in your soft spot, in your moment of weakness. Fourth, in the result of temptation, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It's an interesting metaphor he uses here. Um, that when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. My friends, what we need to do is to practice some spiritual birth control in our thought life. Because if we don't practice spiritual birth control in our thought life, our thought life will impregnate our actions and our actions will give birth to a whole bunch of sin babies. You may say, that's a really weird way to say it, Pastor Ray. Go back and read this verse. It's no weirder than the metaphor that James is saying here. So be careful. Practice some spiritual birth control in your thought life. Okay, if, if, you don't, if you don't like the way I put that, let me just say it plainly. Don't fondle your sins. Don't fondle your sins. Don't trifle with temptation. And, and James is making it very clear. Our problems are not on the outside. Don't say the internet made you do that. Don't say the music made you do that. Don't say some friend led you down some primrose path. The problem is always in here in the mind. I read this the other day, and I just pass it along to you because it seems like really good advice to me. Uh, it is very difficult 
to resist the temptation that you've already rehearsed in your mind. You want something to talk about in the discussion period, talk about that. It is very difficult to resist a temptation you have already rehearsed in your mind. You think about getting angry, you ponder what you're gonna say, you rehearse in your mind those angry words uh, that you're gonna put out to somebody or in the area of sexual temptation, you rehearse something in your mind. Yes, the person who said that's right. It is much more difficult to resist a sin when you have practiced it beforehand in your mind. Where does it end? Well, verse, end of verse 15, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Twice in this passage, James uses the image of birth. Evil desire gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. Now, we prefer not to hear this. We don't want to talk about it in this metaphor of birth because really, and I, I do understand that we all do. There's few things in life are more wonderful than the birth of a baby. Here in America, it's a big deal. You know, you get pregnant and everybody knows about it. And then the gender reveal. I mean, that gender reveal, that's gotten really big on social media, on Twitter, and especially on Facebook. You send out the invitations and you have the big party and the balloons and you're gonna find out if it's a boy or a girl. And I understand hardly anything in this world more wonderful than the birth of a baby. But James is reminding us, spiritually speaking, not all babies are beautiful. Sin, once conceived in the heart, leads only to death. Death to us, death to our relationships, and death in our relationship with God. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to the monster of death. There's nothing beautiful about that. Uh, you want to have an interesting Bible study sometime? Just go back. Just take these three verses and study the metaphors that James is using here because they are 